Hello, friend, and welcome to the Selling You Podcast. I am Sarah Mae Dickinson, your host, coach, mentor, friend, all things. Here to help you learn all things sales. I know that you guys have been here weekly, and I want to thank you for that. We have had such a good time so far, kind of learning through the eyes of all of our guests, not only their own journey to selling themselves, but how to sell you, how to learn all of the things that we need to for our sales journey to not only represent ourselves well, but our company in the best way we can. Today on the show, we have my good friend and amazing podcaster herself, Rachel Eubanks. She is the owner and operator of Inspire to Engage. She's a professional copywriter and helps both individuals and enterprises copyright better. Fun fact, copywriting is all of the text that you put in email, on your website, in your social media posts, and not only is she just a queen at doing it, but she is a really, really smart educator. She's a teacher by trade, a doctor of education in fact, and she took that and molded it into a copywriting to not only do it well, but help all of her her clients understand better how they can write in all things in their business, not even just the stuff that she was helping with. Today, she's here to kind of talk a little bit about that journey, as well as improve our own copy and how we can sell ourselves better through the words that we present to our clients. She is an amazing person. She is super duper helpful, and we can't wait to have her on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Without further ado, Miss Rachel Eubanks. I love that you have notes. I think that's an important thing to have because, you know, life. And obviously now that I have a six month old, I forget everything I'm supposed to know. Yes. You realize why notes are so important. (laughs) It kind of changes things. So when you, I mean, as a note taker, I know you were a teacher for quite a long time. Has that carried over into your business life? Definitely. Definitely. So the note taking That was a must as a teacher. I constantly had notes written on my hand and my boys and girls would think that's so funny. I'm like, no, guys, I have thousands of things. These are the most important. These things on my hand. And now as a um, I homeschool my boys, so I'm still a teacher and I'm an entrepreneur now as well. And so I do have notes everywhere. I use my calendar on my phone. I use the notes app. I have this little ditty that I'm showing to you on the camera right here. I have post-its over here of things. So uh, I am very much a note taker, but it's like, it goes back to what you said. There's just so much floating around in our brains now. And I know that anybody's listening to this, they understand. And um, that's, that's how I operate. And I'm one of those people that I love marking things off. Mm. So it is so important. I love paper notes because you literally get to take your pencil and go done. So, I still buy a written calendar every year for that reason. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Now, how long did you teach before you moved into your own business? So I taught for 13 years, loved every wow. minute of it. I, my, my mom was a teacher and my, both of my grandparents on her side were a teacher. So I come from a long line of teachers. I love teaching, but I came home because I wanted to be with my boys more. Mm-hmm. But what happens there was when I came home, I realized that I, I had lost a little piece of myself and I didn't realize how creative teaching was. Mm. I was craving an outlet for a creativity. 
And, but yet I was still wanting to be home with my boys. And of course I felt selfish thinking, oh my gosh, I had this opportunity to come home with my boys. And yet I'm still craving something. I'm still missing something in my, in my life. And so I just started brainstorming on and off. I even tried like some product stuff, like redoing some things, but I don't like, um, I don't like a lot of clutter in my life. So that was, that was not going to be a good business for me, you know, collecting stuff to redo. Plus I needed something that I could do in the margins because my boys were still really young. They were four and two. And so, wow. And yeah, so I needed something that I could do during nap time or after they went to bed, you know, they went to bed a lot earlier and things like that. And I have a doctorate in education. So I have written my brains out and I'm like, oh my gosh, writing, you can do anywhere. You just need a computer and some, uh, you know, willingness to sit down and do it. And so that's how slowly I started out as a content writer. I've slowly morphed into a copywriter, but the funny thing about my business and a couple of things have come out of it is I've also found that I am back writing content for certain clients. So I say that I'm a copywriter and a content writer, and it's just because of the way some projects have worked out, but that's how I came to be a writer for businesses is that I still need that creative outlet. And I have a ton of writing in, in my background. And of course I've had to teach myself a lot, but I also had a, a huge foundation because of having a master's degree and a doctorate and blah, 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 blah. So it just went on. <laughs> when you first started, did you feel like you were starting a business or did you feel like you were just kind of like doing something on the side? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say that I felt like it was something on the side. Now I wanted to bring extra money in because mind you, both of both Brandon and myself Mm -hmm. had worked. And so I did feel like, Oh, I may be bringing some money in. So I knew that I wanted it to be a business, but I didn't really call it that at the beginning. It was just on the side. Well, because I think that that makes it scary and makes it more permanent. (laughs) You know, if you're like, Hey guys, I love the teaching field and I've started a business. I was not ready to say that at all. <laughs> so well, two things. I mean, A, when you call it a business, it's something you can fail at, number one. Yes. And number two, was it a strange, was it something you felt like you needed to overcome coming from a history of public school ed- educators? Mm-hmm. Was it was it a little difficult for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to be a service person anymore. I'm going to sell things and make money. Was that a weird transition? Oh my gosh. It was such a strange, strange transition for me because I loved teaching. I still love teaching. It just doesn't work out for me right now with what I want to do personally and be home with my boys more and and homeschool them. And I come from a situation where I, I walked away happy. Like I loved my colleagues. I was, it was an identity. I was a teacher. I went Mm -hmm. to school to be a teacher. I'd been a student teacher. Like, So yes, it was an identity crisis for me. That was very hard. And you being my sales coach have a lot of insight into um, the issues that I have around money and asking for, for raising prices, talking about money in a sales call. And I do think that a lot of that comes from, I came with a background of public service Mm -hmm. where you have a salary. There's not really anything you can do. You could be the best in that building, but if you have three, three years of experience, you, and with a master's degree or an undergrad degree, boom, this is what you'll be paid. That's it. Hmm. That has, that does affect how I look at charging and pricing myself. And I admit that that's why I need people like you in my life to 
push through those walls. <laughs> so it is, it's really funny how your previous careers, uh, definitely your previous experiences in life can affect the sales calls and the process and that you place that you make. For someone that might be listening to this, that is a service-based person or is, you know, a service mindset, which is a wonderful thing to be. And we need a lot of those people mm-hmm. in the world right now for us yeah. to get out oh. of just a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what advice would you give them in the sense of the direction that your business took? Because in my opinion, your business is a very service-based business. You're very focused on helping people. So do you think in a way your experience in service affected that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because I still tell people a lot that I technically left the classroom, but I am still very much a teacher. When I, when I meet with clients, we are constantly thinking about how we can teach their customers what there's, what the background of this business is. How do you purchase from me? What, what it's beneficial for purchasing from this company. So I am still very much at a teaching role. And you're right. The business that I created for myself allowed me to be a teacher just through Zoom meetings now. My words teach other people. So definitely I'm service minded and it just flowed right on into the business that I created for myself. And do you think that's helped differentiate you from other copywriters out there? I hope. I hope it has. Um, I do very much believe that we're all very unique. For example, you know, there's other sales coaches out there, but you have your own experience, the things that brought you to be a sales coach to this point. And so I do think that it probably made, made some difference. The fact that I have a teaching background. Um, but there's a, you know, the, the funny thing is, is there's a, well, I don't know if there's a lot more than any other profession, but there are a lot of teachers that leave the classroom and they do still crave some autonomy, some classroom around them, whether it be grown, you know, grown entrepreneurs or fill in the blank. So, And for anybody that's listening, tell us what a copywriter does that they may not know. So a copywriter is rights for businesses. And what a copywriter is, they help sell that product or service. So a copywriter is technically in the sales, sales side of a business. And uh, so that's what I do is I help other businesses use words that are going to sell their services and products. Do you feel like you were, did you know you were in sales when you started copywriting? Uh, No, 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 no. (laughs) I have people like you, Sarah Mae Dickinson, that have helped me be able to form those words and get, and be very, start to be very clear about what it is that I do for people. Now, like I said, I, at the beginning, I still consider myself a content writer. And that's, that's been kind of recent that I realized I have went also back to the content writing, which is really more on the marketing side. That's where you are building that foundation of knowledge around a company. And that's because there was a couple of projects that landed on my doorstep that I didn't want to walk away from. Some of them, you, you know, about a couple of them that you sent my, sent my way. And so content writing is about laying that firm foundation and copywriting. Then is about closing that, closing that deal, really leading it to a, to a call to action. That's going to put the customer at a very close proximity to that business. Mm -hmm. So there's not much difference, but there is a little bit of difference. And tell me and be honest. That's a great description, but be honest about this. Why didn't you want to call yourself somebody that was in sales when you started your business? Well, because 
I'm just going to be brutally honest here because when I started my business, I didn't know that I was missing sales. And I think that that Mm. is so, it is such a prevalent problem in the entrepreneurial world. And it was you who said this statement to me in our very first phone call together. You said, people think that sales is magic. It's not magic. There's a process. There are skills that you can learn to be better. And that statement right there was like a breath of fresh air to me. I was like, she's right. That's what I'm missing. I had been doing all of the marketing side, being on social media, networking. Let me, and I, let me be the first to say there is nothing wrong with that. Like everybody needs that. We, you need that side of your business. But what we're all missing is this gaping hole in the wall that's our sales. And it's where you really get to talk to somebody. They, they are now warm to you. You've marketed to them and they're now warm to you. How do you go from them being warm to actually closing the deal? And so part of me just didn't even know to tell people that like, Hey, you need a copywriter. That's going to help get somebody even closer to you mm-hmm. and, and to help you close the deal. So I was just a dummy. To be honest. <laughs> that is not true at all. <laughs> Hilarious. Not true. Says the doctoral <laughs> Dr. Eubanks get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you think a lot of businesses are suffering from that side? Oh my gosh. It's, it's most of your clients probably. Yes. And it's, well, that's, that's why I push a lot of my clients. The funny thing is that Sarah and I both push clients to each other because (laughs) I can, I can write emails that as Sarah would say, get them up to bat. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have a pitch on the other side, if they don't know the packages to talk about, if they don't know a process to take clients through to talk about on that sales call, then my emails aren't as effective. And then the vice versa for you, if you you can get somebody prepared on this, on the, on the pitch side, the actual sales call, but if they don't have emails or some type of messaging, that's going to even get them there on that call, then their pitch is not as effective because they're not getting to give it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a huge, I think sales is a huge problem. For us in the entrepreneurial world. And I can't, I thought about this earlier today. So many of us follow experts at marketing that will learn all about Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, why we need to be doing reels, why we need to stop doing reels, all of these things, but yet we don't spend a whole lot of attention on the other half of our business, which is what do we do when we have someone's attention? what do we do now? What do we do on the sales side? Well, and tell us a little bit about that from the copywriting standpoint. You said something earlier that I want to make sure everyone listening is very familiar with and using in their regular life. Often you use the term call to action. First and foremost, what is that? Well, call to action is what you want somebody to do next. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you'll see it a lot to CTA. So if anybody sees that written as CTA, they're talking about a call to action. And so for a copywriter, any piece of copy that I write is always going to have a call to action. Sometimes it's click on this link, but a lot of times in emails that I'm writing for my clients and for your clients, we are going to get the the call to action is to book a call Mm -hmm. to book a zoom meeting because the things that we're selling are thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. or at least a couple of hundred dollars. And you're not going to sell that through an email, but Mm -hmm. you do need to get them on, on, on a meeting somehow. So, A CTA is what you want the reader to do next. 
And why do you need that? Because it gives direction. Mm -hmm. It gives direction. And all of us are looking, when we read something, we're all looking for direction, even in good fiction. We're want, we're reading that in order to get to the end and figure out, did these characters fall in love or did they solve the mystery? There's a direction, there's a path. Well, that's the same thing for what we write for our business too. There needs to be a path that the reader is going to take to, in order to go the next step uh, with your business. So that's why CTA is extremely important. One of the things when you first start writing for your business is to ask yourself, what do I want the reader to do when they get mm. finished reading? Um, that's What's their that's, next step? Yeah. What is their next step? Does that answer your question about the CTA? Yeah, of course. And that being said, what's some of the biggest advice you would give someone who just has no idea how to do that? What do you mean about to write a CTA or to- yeah, starting to add call to actions? If they're like, well, I know I need it, but I don't know what that means or how to start to add it into things. Okay. Well, let's take, let's take, for example, something like an email or a social post. Mm -hmm. So an email, a a sales email, an introduction to, let's say that we, this person has reached out and they're somewhat excited or they wanted to to know a little bit more information about uh, your business. Then you are going to definitely write them back, be very personal. And then at the end, You want to tell them what to do next, Mm. which is to book a call with you. So you would leave a link there or leave two or three dates and say, hey, would one of these work for you? That is the call Mm. to action. If you're talking about products, you might list, say, hey, I think that this collection would be perfect for you. And you have that link right there in your email so Mm. they can click on it and go purchase from that collection on your website. You, we hear about CTA called actions all the time in social posts. And a lot of times what that is in a social media post is like, hey, comment below mm. or DM me if you want to know more. So those are great examples of call to actions or very common examples of call to actions inside of social media posts. And most, a lot of people are going to be very familiar with that because they're going to have read that over and over and over again when, when people ask in a very creative way for you to reply or to comment. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the most simple example of a CTA call to action. And I know obviously as a copywriter, you help a lot of people understand their target demographic better. Mm-hmm. And their target demographic is the folks that they are talking to, obviously, in those posts. How do you do that? Well, this is an, another, I'm glad you asked this question. This is another thing that gets overlooked by us, by entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I'm raising my hand as high as I possibly can. <laughs> right here because This happens to all of us at some time, either you started out or you look up and realize, oh my gosh, I'm right to 15,000 different types of groups of people. So to do that, we have to start with a lot of questioning. The, one of the first questions is, who is it you want to serve? <laughs> who gives you money? without grumbling about it. Mm-hmm. You do not, if, I don't care if you're selling a lot. We have, if you've been in business for more than like four minutes, you've experienced this where you're so excited because you get these sales and then, and you're a little bit angry though, because they either, you know, really talked you down on price or they've complained every since they bought it or you had a bad feeling and you went on and, and did the service for them anyway Those are not the people that you want to continue targeting. And if you find yourself 
writing things that continue to bring those people in, then we've got to adjust a little bit. So the first Mm. question that you're going to ask yourself is who do I want to serve with this product? And then do these people actually want to pay me the money that I want to charge? And so you got to start by asking yourself that. Then you want to start looking around to other people who are doing what you're doing. Can you start figuring out who, what people they're talking to, what type of people comment back on their social media posts? That's going to start helping you tighten up who it is that you want to talk to. And then I, for myself, and I tell all of my clients, I really narrow it down to one person. Now, I, I know it sounds kind of silly. What do you mean by that? Like a single individual person, single individual person and envision that person, that lady or that man, give that person a name Mm -hmm. and give them details. If you've narrowed down that, I really like serving someone at this age and, and someone who lives in this area and someone that, you know, works probably here, here and here, give that person a name and write to them specifically because what happens when we all sit down to write email, social media posts, website, copy this. I mean, this happened to me just other, just this morning. And I had to remind myself and bring myself back. Go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not writing to everybody. I'm writing to my ideal client, bring her back in. Mm-hmm. And if I repel somebody with this, with this little statement here, I don't want to make them mad and hate me, but I can't care. Like mm. I have to be okay with that. That's kind of the same thing. We have to be okay when people unsubscribe from our list. It's not personal. It's not personal. They just don't want to be on our list anymore. And truthfully, we don't need them to be on our list anymore because they're not looking to buy from us. Mm-hmm. So once you have gotten very clear and, and when I say get very clear, don't just say I serve ladies or I serve women over 20. I serve men. What? I, I mean, Golly, that's huge. Bring it down to I serve, you know, this lady that's 25 years old and she really loves her dog and she's going to take her dog to this pet palace every single Wednesday. And then, you know, all of these little, little, little details, give her a name because then when you sit down to write, you're writing to that gal and you're going to attract people like her. And then you're going to repel people that that don't get it. And that's okay too. So that's beyond great advice for somebody. So two groups of people, one is the person who's maybe brand new and hasn't sold to anybody yet. They're just kind of starting out. Mm-hmm. What do you do in that scenario? That scenario is, is a hard one, but there's, there's so many people. Well, basically let me back up and say, we've all been there. Like we've all had our very first sale, or we've been without our first sale. And what I would say to do is exactly what I said just now. You have to ask yourself that important question. Who is I want to serve? Who do I think is going to purchase my product or service at the price that I have it right now? And at this point, because you haven't sold to anybody, I would ask around to friends. I don't mean Mm -hmm. sell to friends. I don't mean to sell to friends. I'm saying start asking friends, like, do you think, Somebody would purchase this. What are your ideas here? Now, you got to take it or leave it because if your friend doesn't really care about the service or product that you're that you're selling, they may or may not give you great advice. But at least you're out talking about the product. And Sarah, you know that the more you talk about your service and product, 
the better you're going to be at it. And you'll get better and better and better and better with each conversation. So for someone who has never sold for the first time yet, you still have to dream up that ideal client. And the way you do it is by doing your research, looking at companies that sell something similar to you. Who are they selling to? Mm-hmm. Pay attention, dig deep and look at who's commenting and click on that person. Like, hey, just say, you got to do a little stalking. Like mm-hmm. you just really do. And I don't mean in an ugly way. I just mean like who's buying products that are similar to mine. So you start stalking, you start talking to your friends and family, you're not selling to them and you're not going to be offended if they don't get it or if they're not happy about your service and product. Because remember, we know they may not be in your ideal client group, but they are somebody that you can at least get in the habit of talking about. And they may have the friend that they like, oh my gosh, I'm not interested in a copywriter because I'm not a business owner. But do you know what? My friend so-and-so just opened so-and-so. So you need to go talk to her. That's why you're talking to friends and family so that you can branch out a little bit. But I would still say, once you've done some research, you have to come back and create an ideal client. You have to write that person down, name, how old they are, exactly how old they are, what profession that they're in. Pretend that you know this person and then be prepared that in a year, once you have some sales underneath your belt, you adjust that ideal client. And that brings me to my second group of people. So somebody, I had a client who thought she knew her ideal client Mm -hmm. because she had, she sells a product and she had four or five wholesalers and we got her on a path where now she has, you know, 50, 60 wholesalers more like, Oh, your client is actually a super different person than we thought. So obviously a brand new person, you kind of got to make up your ideal client and go with it. But somebody who thought they understood their ideal client and now realize that's a different person and they need to pivot. What kind of advice would you give them? Well, the first thing would be to recognize that that happens in most businesses. Most businesses, when you grow, you are going to change and you're going to look up a year later and realize, whoa, who buys from me is not the same as who bought for me last year or who I thought was going to buy for me. So the first thing is I would say that's natural in business. Your ideal client is going to change. And if you don't think it will, that's where you've messed up. That needs to be revisited every six months to a year. And so recognize it and then do the same thing. When you look up, when you have some like a sales coach that's taking you down a different path and you realize, whoa, there's a you know, there's a pot of gold over here that I've been missing out on, then stop and regroup and do your research right there with who's buying wholesale from you. Who else could you be selling wholesale to? But you just have to be open to to doing that and then rewriting that ideal client story when it's, when you recognize that things have changed for you or you want your business to go a different direction. How often would you recommend that people, because this is a hugely important part of sales, right? If we don't know who the hell we're selling to, then we're going to have issues. How often would you recommend that companies should be re-examining who their target client is? That's a really good question. Like once a year? I think, I think a minimum of once a year. Wow. So is there a situation, and I know plenty of people who this is probably true for, is there a situation where your target client changes throughout the year? I think so. I think there are some, especially I would say in retail Mm. or those of us that serve retailers, Mm -hmm. our ideal clients may change. This is something else I want to say too, because this may answer your question. 
most businesses do not have just one ideal client. Most businesses that are fairly mature have more like two or three. Now, if you look at me and say, but Rachel, I have 15 ideal clients. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> only companies, only enterprises that have marketing department upon like, marketing department upon, upon marketing department have 15 ideal clients. Like Amazon has 15. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'm not, because once again, I, I'm always scared to say that because then people go back to try to writing to everybody. Again. I'm like, no, 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 no. But for example, the client you're talking about, she has an ideal client in her B2C side where she, she sells directly to consumer. She has an ideal client there. And then she is now learning a lot about the ideal client that she has on her wholesale side, mm-hmm. which we'll say we'll call B2B. Mm-hmm. She now has two ideal clients and she's getting really clear now. She's been very clear on her B2C. She, she sold for years to her B2C. She's now starting to get really clear on the other to the other businesses that she sells to. So she's got two ideal clients. What that means for her is when she sits down to write a social media post, she's deciding who is this that I'm writing to today? Now, a lot of us get lucky and there, there's some overlap, like someone who owns a large boutique that's looking to buy, you know, hand knitted scarves is also the words that you use in that social post are also going to hit home with a B2C consume, you know, a consumer who's looking to buy a hand knitted scarf. So it, it, it's not like you're leaving out everybody. It just gives you a purpose when you sit down to write. When I write this email, am I writing to my wholesaler? client or am I writing to my consumer client? And then you get really clear on who it is that you're talking to. So I just want to say that most businesses, as they mature, they are going to find themselves with more than one ideal client. That's okay. Embrace it, but use that as a purpose for when you sit down to write and when you write those call to actions. Does that make Um, sense? Oh, very much so. One last bit of advice for the, our, our, our new friends that are all listening to this podcast. If they are realizing after listening to you that their social, which is where most of us are doing copywriting, is much more informational than sales oriented, what are some pieces of advice or what are some steps that they should be taking now to get some actual movement out of those social posts? That's a hard one because it is. It's a hard one because I like giving you hard questions. You have such great information. I don't. I don't. <laughs> social media makes me both mad and happy. I love social media. And then I also get so angry at it because so little of what we write gets seen to our followers. That's not something that we can control really other than, other than being consistent. We know that that helps. So I'm, I'm not saying that there, I should, I should not say that we can control some of it. We can't control all of, all of it. But with that said in social media, when you are writing to your ideal client and you're realizing I haven't sold anything to them in a long time, it really starts with being scheduled and knowing that at least once every three or four posts, And you push back if you disagree with me on this, but at least once every three or four posts, you need to be mentioning how they can purchase from you. Yes, please. And it can be as simple as if you don't have a website that's working right now, if you're really early to business, it really could be a call to action of like DM me if you want to Mm. know how to do da 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 da. Um, Yes. It can really really be that simple. 
but at least also being clear about what it is that you sell. That's what I was about to say that when you, when you schedule that every third post, I have, I have to try to sell something. You're right. In that post, we have to be very clear Mm -hmm. that this picture up here shows fill in the blank, the hand knitted scarf, or it shows me sitting at a desk writing an email. And then the post, the words below it, guess what? You're writing to the ideal client that is looking for that hand knitted scarf or looking for copywriting. And you get very, you're not cute about it. You can be funny here and there, but those first two or three sentences, boom, you need to be crystal clear about what it is that you do and, and what they can buy from you. And then you can get... I'm not saying it shouldn't be fun. Let me back up on that. I'm not saying it shouldn't be fun because we know those first two or three sentences grab them, grab the reader. But if you get too cutesy, then once again, you're not selling anything. You're just hanging out and taking up space. And I think something that you have taught me that I think is really important for people to listen to as well. I think when it comes to copywriting, a mistake that we newbies to the copy world often make is that we treat each post and each item as an individual when it can be much more of a, a building block to a puzzle or a picture that they are seeing. Like, mm-hmm. don't be afraid if you're scared, like you don't want to mention every damn service or every product that you have in a single post. Don't be afraid to use like highlights in Instagram and say, Hey, you want to see our other products go here? Or, Hey, if you want to check out our other services, you know, link in bio or whatever it is. Um, I find that sometimes copy can seem overwhelming to folks because they think that they have to do everything in a single post. That's a great point. And it, it goes back to that scheduling that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Like when you're scheduling stuff on your calendar, you know, and you say that you have to go to the grocery store on your calendar, you're not going to write down your entire list. Right. But, and that's the same thing. Like when you write down a social media that, Hey, I, I need to sell today on Tuesday. I need to sell. Once again, you're just going to sell, choose one product, choose, choose what is time um, sensitive, what's appropriate to your ideal customer and sell that one thing. And then, like you said, it doesn't mean that you can't mention every so often mention your, 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 where you have more of your products listed or send them back to your website. But one thing I want to talk to you about too, when you said, that we, we put so much pressure on one, every single post. I, social media is a resume. Mm-hmm. It's a resume, especially Instagram. If you think about it, it literally is just this big block of nine that people can just mm-hmm. figure out about your business, even more so to me than, than Facebook. Cause Facebook, you literally mm-hmm. have to scroll. But if you start looking at Instagram or any, really any social media as more of just a resume as a, it's slowly building what it is that you do, then it takes the pressure off of every single post that you write. Yes. Because it's just, and I'm speaking to myself because I can just get so overwhelmed or spend so much time on this one dumb post. And I tell myself, just guess what? I'll write another one in a couple of days and it'll be fine. Like moving on, you know, I'll, so just take the pressure off of one post. And I like what you said too no way do you try to sell everything. And that takes a lot of pressure off of the writing as well. And I tell people too, if you get overwhelmed, forget cute and just state what it is that you do and how you can help somebody. 
And honestly, sometimes those are a breath of fresh air. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you go through an email or you go through um, social media and someone's, you know, written only a couple of words, but it tells you exactly what they did. You're like, well, that was nice. Yeah, you're like, this is lovely. Um, one last question before I make you do your elevator pitch because you know that's coming. For you, as someone who has a service mindset, came from teaching, sometimes hasn't even like let people know that you're a doctor of education. <laughs> how did you become comfortable selling yourself? And what did that mean for your business? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have two or three things and most of it's going to be a big old brag on you. So I'm going to go okay, really Well, you don't that. need to be doing that. No, no, it is. We I didn't are. pay her to come on here, folks. No, she didn't. I, I came I came for free because I, I love what she does. I just talk about her all the time. Number one, recognize that skills is a, is a, I'm sorry, sales is a skill and it can be learned. For some reason, like, like you said, people think it's magic. It's not. It's a skill and it can be learned as you would learn to play a trombone, play soccer, knit, whatever. Nobody, nobody blinks an eye. Nobody cares when they say, yeah, I'm taking blah, blah, blah to learn how to do this. We're like, yeah, well, good for you. But nobody thinks about doing that on the sales side. Mm -hmm. So it, number one, I had to have a coach, Sarah May, in order to help me learn some of the things I just did. I didn't even know I didn't know. So number one, in order to sell yourself, you got to recognize you can sell yourself. It's a skill. Learn it. Hire, hire a sales coach like Sarah May. Get um, buy courses, read books, whatever. It's a skill and it can be learned. Number two, you taught me this too. Be prepared. When you get on a sales call, have packages ready to go. I didn't know this. I felt like in the early days, I felt like every client that came to me, it was a unique situation. And I remember one of our first sales calls, you leaned in, you're like, you're crazy, Rachel, get it down to some packages. There's no way that every single call should be unique and custom made. And when she said that, I was like, huh. And the reason that is so important to those of us that struggle in sales is because it gives us boundaries. It also it gives takes a lot of the categories. pressure off. Yes. It gives us categories to, to work in. And so be prepared when you go into a sales call, have packages prepared. Yes. Make please. sure that you right. Have, have some packages prepared. I'll tell you another thing. I have a good friend. I've talked to you about Carly Chetton. Mm. Um, she talks about having um, a slide deck mm. prepared. It's huge. Yes. If, if you are, if yes. you're nervous in a sales call, if you can have a slide deck prepared that talks about your packages mm -hmm. and the prices. It talks mm -hmm. about the process that you take a client through or the process that they, how they buy from you. If you can do that, it's mm, amazing. A timeline. You know how I feel about timeline, Oh, your girl. timelines, girl, are amazing. And, and I'm glad you brought the timeline thing up. It's perfect for a slide deck. And I cannot tell you, I can't, I can't make people understand how safe that that lets someone else feel because they feel like you're prepared and that you showed up. You're not just sitting here shooting the bull and be like, I don't know. It sounds like it's going to cost you about $2,000. And you have, they're like, where, where, where did you get that from? But you show up with a slide deck and you're taking them through the process. You're taking them through the packages and you're taking them through the timeline. They're like, Whoa, this person's come prepared. And it puts you the seller in the driver's seat. Now for someone who's done sales, as long as you like, you feel in the driver's seat every time you get, you get on a sales call, not me. I need to do all of the prop ups. And so I have my side decks. I have my packages prepared. All the things that you just mentioned, what's that done for your confidence level in your business? Oh my gosh. It's, um, 
it is, it's big. It, it is definitely um, grown me tremendously, but because it's, you've taught me a couple of the tricks that, you know, it's kind of that fake it till you make it. You know, even though I'm still not comfortable in a sales call, you've taught me how to fake it. Mm-hmm. There's some props and there's some things I can do. Safety nets. Yes. Safety nets, a great word. There's some things I can do to prep for this sales call that, so I go in knowing that at least I'm prepared. And I, there's one other thing I want to mention that you have saved my tell on so many times. And it's, it's along these same lines too, is I got off of a call and immediately texted you or later talked to you about it. I said, Oh, I blew it, Sarah. I blew it. He, he wanted something that I wasn't prepared and I didn't have the price ready. And you said, Oh, you didn't blow it, Rachel. What'd you tell him? And I said, Oh, I told him I would email him later. And you said, that's fine. We all get into sales calls where even our best prep did not prepare us for what it is that they wanted. But the trick that you taught me beyond that was before, if you get into a situation where you don't know the answer, say, let me do some research. I'll be glad to figure that out for you, figure out a price. But before we get off, let us go in and set a package chat, you know, three days from now, because therefore, and that's just another one of those props that allows those of us that cannot think on the fly in a sales call. Like someone asks us to adjust the pricing a little bit. And you're like, uh, uh, deer in headlights. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> that gives you that space to do it, but you still are able to walk away as if walk away with confidence in the fact that you're going to get it and you're going to make it happen. And that you still have, hopefully if they agree to it, you still have a calendar date for just a couple of days later. So that's a, that's a huge trick that definitely boosted my confidence. Rachel, that's beautiful. And I'm so happy to hear those things are happening and some safety nets, you guys, I'm going to go ahead and do, I'm going to work on a blog post for you guys on that, but safety nets that she's talking about are being comfortable around your packaging and having that written somewhere. I don't care where the hell it is. It can be on your website. It can be on a canvas sheet. It can be written down in front of you on a post-it. Don't care. It just needs to exist somewhere. Um, other things she's talking about, timelines. We talk about those in the sense of knowing how long your process with a client takes. I'm sure anybody that's listening to this has been asked, well, what's your delivery time? Or how often do we meet? Or when's it to me? And maybe you didn't have an answer to that. Have an answer for it. So you're prepared when they ask that question. And the reason why I want you to have these safety nets and Rachel's about to give us hers, but the reason why I want you to have these safety nets is because there are going to be things that are thrown at you in your business that you are not going to know how to answer. Weird objections, strange requests, projects or packages that you have never even thought about doing for them. That might throw you off and that's okay because that's stuff we can prepare for. But guess what? Your elevator pitch should not be one of those things. Your elevator pitch should be something that you are heavily prepared for. You feel comfortable doing, and you've said it so many times in your head that it rolls off the top. So Miss Rachel, as I make every... I love that little segue. That was a brilliant segue into, into the elevator pitch. Okay. So here goes. I, I admit I am extremely nervous, even though I do practice in the mirror sometimes. I do this all the time. I do, but I get nervous now because it's, what, it's okay to be nervous. nervous. We're all still nervous. <laughs> okay, here you go. Um, I'm Rachel Eubanks. I am the owner of Inspire to Engage, and I'm a copywriter that helps small businesses speak directly to the people that they want to target and bring into their business. Rachel, that was beautiful. Well, great. I was nervous. 
You did great. Thank you so much for being on today. You're just a lovely human being. And I can't wait to have you back again. Thank you so much. It was fun. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) Red Carpet Roundup. What up? Um, Hello. Hello, my dear Rachel. I'm so happy you are here. So happy you're joining me now. I love that Mrs. Doubtfire greeting. Oh my God. <laughs> Side note. We just got a new um, robot vacuum and her name Ooh. is Yuva Naja. You've, how do you say her name? Uh, Yuva Janaya, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's her name. It says so on the app. My husband made it so. Doubtfire. So when I have to find her in the house because she got stuck somewhere, that's what it says. Finding wow. Yuva Najaya Doubtfire. So. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Challenge the spelling on that. Like, <laughs> I mean... I'm sure he looked it up. Because it's a classic movie, okay? Maybe the most classic film of my childhood. Well, it's an Effie, and she says that's like her nickname in the movie. So, like, that's who cleans our house. (laughs) Who wouldn't clean our house but her? Um, For for all of you Mrs. Doubtfire aficionados out there, if you're not, welcome. We're here to chat about Miss Rachel Eubanks, who is a queen, like a queen of the sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. She is lovely. I didn't tell the story on the podcast, but when I first moved to Alabama, I had a client um, who actually is the reason who's the person who came up with the red carpet around it. And she kept mentioning Rachel and she's like, you need to know Rachel, you need to know Rachel, you need to know Rachel. And I was like, okay, I mean, sure. And then I randomly met her through Instagram. I went on her podcast and, you know, just basically became fast friends with her. She's just lovely. She is. And I know her with all of my clients on copywriting. So tell me, first of all, Rach, have you ever thought of copywriting before you listened to a professional one talk about it? No, praise Jesus. She defined it for us because I was like, I don't even know what a copywriter is. Yeah. But it was all interesting to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was like, cool. Can you write some things for me then? Like, (laughs) Like, how do I hire you? Yeah. Well, because a lot of us struggle with content, right? Ugh. I mean, I personally mm. do. I, I literally hate, because I'm not creative. I, I hate coming up with the content. I don't mind being like the, uh, the spotlight of the content, I guess. I don't mind being in the content. I just don't want to have to come up with it. And so for someone to take the guesswork out of that or the, the mind labor that it is, yeah. to come up with all that I think that's that's a be- I I'm just so thankful that this profession exists <laughs> yeah well and I think too as someone who was in sales for a long time we're kind of and for many of us we're not necessarily used to that but if you were in sales before it's not uncommon that the content is being handed to you for you then to spout to other human beings you prettify right. it and you kind of make it your own and you do stuff with it but someone else is coming up with the content. So to then be in a situation where, or maybe you worked for another company and you're going out on your own for the first time and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to come up with the content now. That's interesting. And not yeah, something I want to be doing. No. What do you no. feel like you learned? Oh my gosh. Well, I loved, I think one of the things that she because I didn't come from this, right? My background is I went from sales to another type of sales. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I went from a, I'm still in this, the situation, but like the way I'm structured right now is I'm some salary and I'm some commission. So I Mm -hmm. understand the value 
or let me just say this, I understand the process of that type of um, livelihood, right? Where you, you are guaranteed some money, but you hustle for the rest and you don't just show up every day, give it hundred percent. And it's always this magical formula of I'm going to make certain money. Her coming from teaching where she was kind of talking about that role, right? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter what she did. There was no incentive to outperform anyone else. There was no incentive yes. to work harder because your paycheck was your paycheck. You kind of show up, you get it, you go home. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to go from that to now building a business and where every move you make now must translate into some type of revenue generating activity, that's a huge shift. Yeah. So I feel like Rachel was, for me, she's like a coming of age story, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Coming of age. In the sense, she was very accomplished in where she was, right? She had her doctorate. Yeah. And she was, and she's in education, which I have tremendous respect for. My mom's a teacher. My husband's a teacher. Oh, like Janet. I fully, yeah. I mean, I, I really respect that career. Janet and is Rachel's nothing. mom for everyone that doesn't know that. Janet's a Janet is an educator. Yeah. She, she teaches high school science. God bless her. And so I love that, that she went from that space into this and sales is just such a different animal. And mm-hmm. she had a lot of interesting, interesting things to say, but I would say that that was one thing I really took from it. I love though, that these stories I live for, right? Because yes, this is a whole new life. Like she yes. ultimately wanted to spend more time with her boy. She said that yeah. numerous times, which I assume I you that, can relate to. Deep. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. That was a real shift for me personally, when I had my kids that I wasn't expecting, I always thought of myself as I was just going to be this hardworking mom that like paid the nanny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I realized I didn't want that. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be more up close and personal with my kids. So I felt that on a deep level. Um, I don't know. I I loved her story. I think she, she's really, you can tell she's blossomed from Mm-hmm. point a to point b and her journey has mm-hmm. been beautiful so it was really it was it was a lot of fun to listen to her well something i love about her and her story is you know it's especially being in copywriting so like from my standpoint i'm like well copywriting is sales and pretty much every human i work with i'm like well you're in sales and they don't know that they're like no no, no i'm not in sales i'm like you're in sales that's what you're doing yeah you're selling a product that's right so for her, you know, being a copywriter at first, and I, I do assume it comes, it comes from a service mindset, right? Where we need a lot yes. of service mindset people in the world yes. and it's wildly important, but you can be service mindset and be in sales at the same time. So a hundred percent, I believe, believe that, I believe that. So helping herself kind of understand that not only is she like selling a selling something, in fact, she's selling it for many, many people with different products, but that her whole career is about like helping that person, I think is the intersection where you can have a really successful business, but still be dedicated to the teacher or the service person that you are inside in yes. a big way. Yes, I agree. I love what, that what kind of copywriting are you incorporating in your life now? (laughs) I have no copywriting in my life right now. I guess I could use more of it. I could certainly use more copywriting, I think for social media, because that's really where I struggled to create content. So um, yeah, she just like, I love what she said too, because this is sort of another point to that. 
this started as like something she wanted to do in the margins, right? Because mm-hmm. she wanted that work-life balance as a mom. And I think that's how a lot of mm-hmm. um, big business starts, whether yeah. it's small business or big business, whatever it turns into. If it's if it's truly a business, which we talked about too, just defining it as a business and uh, the level uh, of vulnerability you have to have just to call it a business. Because mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I asked I like, that. Wasn't I like, when did you actually like call it a business? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I love when you said it too, when you call it a business, you're officially admitting it's like something you can fail at, right? Correct. Like to call it a business means it's something you can fail at. What starts as miracles in the margins can turn into something really big and really great, but there is a level of going for it and sort of just calling it right there and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to mm-hmm. trust in myself. I'm going to have confidence in whatever this snowball takes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a sense of like, so my husband uses this term um, and apparently it's very, uh, it's just a term I hadn't heard before, but I love it. And we talk about it a lot where it's called burning the ships. So like there's I no- love that phrase. There's Love no going song. back, right? Yeah. Right. There's, there's Burn several. The so, um, yes. So th- there's, there's a point that you have to be willing. And if you're doing a hobby, that's great. And if you're doing, you know, whatever that is, whether it's something on the side or whatever, but if you want it to be real, there has to be a point where you burn the ships. And I don't mean like, you know, set your savings on fire and no, no, forget no. any other don't job that bridges. you have. Don't yeah. burn your bridges. You know, none of that. <laughs> but I do mean in the sense where you have to confidently put it out there on Instagram, confidently put it out there in, you know, networking situations, confidently say like, hi, I am this and I do this. Yes. Oh my God. Just speak my language. And I want to say this too, because that phrase has such tremendous meaning to me. So it's so funny that you're saying it. Um, and I love that Adam said it because I just love him so much. But <laughs> he's this is, he is, he really is. Um, I remember this. Oh God, I remember this so well, Snuck. Um, I remember shortly after I had Jace, who's my second and I had my babies and it was just sort of reinforcing that moment. I was driving to work and I was in traffic and I had just gotten mm-hmm. a green light and I actually listened to that song for the ships. It just yeah. happened to come on the radio. And I remember I was driving to work. So I just done my makeup. So I was really upset about this, but I started crying, which I was like, it's a really bad time. This is, not, this is no time right now. I'm dabbing the, the tears. Like here, I'm but literally driving in traffic. I have no yes, time to be doing this. This was the very, very, like the very beginning of like, okay, I'm starting a new life for myself. So I, I, I didn't have confidence yet in what it was, Yeah. but I remember thinking. And sometimes you don't even know what that no, thing is. You don't. And at that time I really didn't. Um, or maybe I had an inkling here and there, but I remember just thinking, I don't know what's next, but I know I cannot stay here. I know mm. I cannot sustain what I'm doing right now. Mm. This will not. I will not become the person I was destined to be. If I stay in this, I will not be the mom. I want to be, I will not be the woman I thought I was like, I just knew that I needed to trust that. And I didn't know what it was going to look like. And that didn't mean go to work that day and blow it all up. It just meant to start trusting that there was something else out there. So if you need to burn the ships anywhere in the process, yeah, even if that's at the very beginning, let it happen, let them burn. And I think it looks so different for so many people, right? Like, I yes. think you got, you, we need to have a whole like actual chat with Rachel, like me, well, me and the two <laughs> Rachels. 
Um, because she didn't talk about this on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure she went through a much of an awakening of what you had because she wanted to have that time with her boys. And I know she didn't like leave teaching right away. So I know she had a couple years, those first couple years where she was like, okay, what do I want my life to be? Like, what do we want this Mm -hmm. to look like? Like, what do we want our family to look like? Like all of those things that go into that decision. And I think, you know, I went through this myself in the sense of when I started my business, when I started sales coaching, like it wasn't, I was telling Rachel before we even started recording today, a client of mine came up with the name SMD coaching. Like I didn't have an effing name. Like I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, I love you. And I found it like, oh, I, details, 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 whatever. Um, I have tried a lot of things in my life. I've failed at a lot of stuff. I've, I've created a, an app and it's not, you know, and I'll bring it back. It's fine. Um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff and failed at it. So it can be like, it can be very nerve wracking and almost embarrassing to put yourself out there and be like, no, I'm doing this thing. And I'm going to tell you right now for anyone that's listening to this. The only remedy to that is doing something and just effing continuing to do it because people stop looking at, yes, once you've been doing something for two or three years, all the questions stop, all the silliness stops, all the, oh, you're still doing that. You know, those kind of things. Right. And that goes away. Take it out. But you have to like be willing to burn the ships and burn them continually (laughs) and like just keep going going so true and very well said and it's absolutely the case and you don't have to write do it for the haters whatever I mean (laughs) just kidding that should not be your biggest motivator but it's hey if it gets you through some tough days yes it does it absolutely does I think yes whatever propels you forward but remember why you're doing it right remember your why well, and that's a whole nother podcast, but well, we'll be chatting about that plenty in intermix sure. on its own podcast. And, you know, Rachel's a big proponent of that, like keeping your why present at all times and using it in your content regularly, because mm-hmm. that, and by content, we mean a lot of things, right? Like we mean the, you know, when we say content, people only think of Facebook and Instagram, but that's not true. You know, we're talking about your website, your um, emails you're sending out your, the way you talk to people in public, like all of those things could, should match each other. The story that you're telling, the way you talk, the stuff that you talk about should all kind of be part of that. And your why is literally should be the propeller of all of those things. And if you don't understand your why you need to do some soul searching. Yes. And that can change, right? Your why can evolve. I know it has for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What was yours to start with? So Um, how long have you been in business? First of all, like general business? No, no, no. I mean, well, true, because I'm sure you had a why when you started out of college. That's very different. Yeah. I mean, what was your why to make a billion dollars? Yeah. I wanted to make money. I wanted to support myself. I wanted to be successful, whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. (laughs) What I thought that was going to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I started, 
and an MLM when I started Arbonne. I think I, it was a lot of Rachel's story. I felt on that level of like, I just want more time with my kids. Yeah. And I need to be able to find a way to support my family, but have that flexibility and yeah. that time and to be at the things I want to be at. And uh-huh. I don't know. So I think, and that continues to evolve too, because I don't know, as my personal life evolves, I think there's, there's security in that. Um, there's security in being able to make money anytime, any place and, and being able to, I don't know, have peace about those things, be able to make decisions not that are, that are not completely financially driven, but instead Mm -hmm. making decisions about what's truly right for you and not being stressed about the things that don't really matter as much. Mm. Mm. So (laughs) does that make sense? Yeah. Beyond. I mean, um, you know, when I was young, I, I, so, I mean, we'll have to do a podcast where you interview me. Cause I know I don't really talk about myself a lot and I'm sure people are like, oh, I'd love to interview you. Yeah. We'll do yeah, that. Or could you, <laughs> but for those of you that don't like know my story yet completely, when I left college, I was, I'd always like assumed, I guess I would be in business in some way. And to me, that success meant like, you know, a penthouse apartment in Manhattan, like the biggest city you can get, like living in the city, doing it, going, being awesome. And now I couldn't be happier. And I have a husband and a baby and I live in small town, Alabama. So quite a shift, quite a different direction. Um, but a beautiful one, what a beautiful one. but I'm I think, it. you know, under, <laughs> and your why changes so much along that way. And the, you know, it's okay that it changes, but understanding yeah, because life does, changes. Yes. And how to tell that story is super important. A couple more things before we kind of finish here. One, I thought this was super interesting. And I was wondering what you thought on this. What were your thoughts on like, I know she talked about like finding your target demographic and understanding it. How do you feel about that? Do you understand your target demographic? Have you nailed in on that better? Yes and no. I think, yes. I thought that was interesting what she was saying. It was making me think about um, maybe who best to target. I mean, I can look at my clients and I certainly have pockets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I have people who have different needs. And because I sell nutrition and skincare, Mm-hmm. Those can be two different target audiences, right? Sure. Like a lot of them overlap. And I think she talks about that everything. a little bit. Yes, she did. Um, so I think uh, there's a lot of things that she said. I want to make sure that I speak to this. But Do you feel like you're talking to both of those groups well on your content at this point? Um, when I, so God, I'm so much better in person. This is one thing I have to figure out how to translate better because it's just easier for me and <laughs> to have these. Me too. I mean, that's and... our experience in sales. Yeah. Our experience in sales is in person. Well, and I think when you're selling products, <laughs> God help me. When you're selling products that are meant to make someone look better, yes, then you yourself feel like you need to take that role on in some way, right? Like people mm-hmm. should want what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really the selling of yourself, I think in the beauty industry, um, even with like, you know, 
nutrition products too. Again, why are people even getting into nutrition in the first place? Well, a lot of people want to lose weight. They want to get healthier. They want to look and feel better. The entire premise of what I do is to look and feel your best. Mm -hmm. And so when I can present that in person, I feel like that's real. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but having that come across through social media in a way that I can balance it to where it's, it's authentic and relatable and not, um, to, I don't know, like arrogant or I don't know, too self-centered. You know what I'm saying? Like that's Mm -hmm. a really particular balance. So, and I don't mean that because I'm like, oh, I'm so great. I just mean, I don't want to be like, Hey, look how good I look because I use these products. Like that's not relatable. People are like, please shut your mouth. Shut shut it down. (laughs) But this is important for everybody that's listening, right? Like regardless of what your product is, whether it's you or a physical product, That can be daunting for anyone. I bet Rachel, who's I'm sure listening right now, I bet one of her biggest challenges is writing her own damn content because I'm sure it can feel incredibly overwhelming Uh, when your job is to be a copywriter for other people. Like you feel like that your crap has to be like on point then. Like I feel it in the sense of like, I'm a sales coach, right? Mm -hmm. I should have more clients than any human ever thought possible on the planet because my job is to teach other people how to sell. So like, I, I I and I'm not, I'm not ever going to be the person running around side note. If you believe these people, please don't, please stop doing that. I'm never going to be the person running around, like showing their paycheck online. Like, Oh gosh, no. Those people are lying. So don't ever listen to those people. Yeah. And B, I don't like that. So it can be challenging no, to boast right. about yourself in an appropriate way that shows people yes. that you are the success that they should be trusting right? I without agree. looking like a jerk face. <laughs> so true. And we're going to talk think... a lot more about that because I feel like that's a, a yes. super, it's a hard can go deep. topic. We could go deep with that. Well, and so much of us, so many of us struggle with that, right? Like I'm sure it's challenging Ugh. for you. And this can be a whole podcast, maybe with a wine and evening podcast where we chat about, it Would can probably feel, yeah, I mean, why not? Um, <laughs> it can probably feel pretty overwhelming when you're in a beauty type industry. Ugh, like yes. maybe you just don't feel like you want to look pretty all the time. No. Oh gosh. Like when I work from home, like I look homeless I look like I don't want to go to Costco in your jam jams because people will be like why would I want to buy skincare why would I want to buy that from you I went to Costco today actually I wore a leisure well I mean you should be Um, it's a good time but that that industry is very unique and that you are selling yourself and let's just be honest in the same way that if you are looking for a personal trainer right you want to find a personal trainer that looks like you want to look mm-hmm. right. Same with if I'm buying makeup off someone, I want to buy makeup off someone who put their makeup on in a way that I'm like, Oh, I want to look like that too. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to sell skincare to somebody who's like, Hey, I don't like this about my skin. I like your skin. Right. Like that's just natural. Well, and, and think, we all do that. I think that's an important point for people to hear. Like it's a hard truth, but it's something we all need to keep but in it mind. Is true. Right. Because like, I'm sure Rachel our our Rachel that was on earlier today. Yes. I'm sure she's telling herself all the damn time. Like, well, 
gosh, no one's going to want me to write their content if my content doesn't sound good. And you're saying, well, nobody's going to want to buy skincare from me if my skin looks haggard. And I'm saying if I can't string a sentence together properly and tell my own elevator pitch, then who the hell is going to think that I'm the one to coach them through it? So I want people to be thinking about that in their own business. Like whatever it is that you're making or selling or crafting, if yours doesn't appear on point, then nobody else is going to think that they should be looking to you to be the expert in that area. Right. I completely agree. So that's difficult, right? That's whatever. I don't know. I think that is another another podcast maybe, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. there's a level. I should be writing these down, by the way. Go on. (laughs) Are we keeping track of this? Yeah. I mean, we're recording, so that's great. Yeah. The pressure is on in those situations and in whatever your industry looks like. The pressure is on for you to look. She talked a lot about sales as a skill and selling yourself as a skill. Yes. And that's exactly what we're talking about right now. Um, it's, it is, it's you, it's you, it's your presence. It's what you bring to the table. And if you're selling something that's physical and that's, you know, I'm speaking too much about myself, but yeah, it, it's, this is who I am. This is what I have to offer. Like, I, this is me in the flesh. This is, this is what I look like. This is, and for me, it's like, this is what my body looks like. This is what my skin looks like. This is what my makeup looks like because that's what I'm selling. Mm. Um, so there, yes, there's a level to perform in that, if you will. Right. Like, and I think the, the, I think that the takeaway here that I want everyone to be paying attention to and using for themselves is not only like, what's your, why, what's your target demo? But in listening to Rachel and your content is what are people looking to you to be that expert in? What are people looking to you to do well? Is it the, like that you look, you know, like you've lost weight and you're happy and your skin's glowing? Is it that you know how to properly (laughs) speak? Is it that, you know, you have the best, uh, I don't know, design on the block. You have the best, whatever insert thing here. If you just need to be aware of what mm-hmm. people are looking to you towards and your content yes. should be telling them that like your content should be reflecting that. So yes, at home, noodle it, make some tea, make some coffee, take some notes, write it down, write it down, journal it out, journal it, journal out. it out. Sometimes <laughs> I used to be a runner, not so much anymore. Run it out, um, do whatever the hell you need to do, but right. noodle that. Cause it's a really important part of whatever it is that you're selling, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're bringing to the table. You need to know those things. And use it to your best advantage. Final thoughts, Rachel. Final thoughts. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, oh gosh. I, like to put people I on think the spot, apparently you. Yeah, you do. And I was just like, oh, okay. I think final thoughts are the the transitions can be made through life more gracefully than we give our, ourselves credit for. Mm. And Rachel's a beautiful example of that. Mm. And she's still transitioning, right? Mm-hmm. She transitioned from teacher to part time copywriter mm-hmm. to like copywriting in the margins and now kind of copywriting to, to make a living. And Mm -hmm. so, and the transitions keep going, right. Because she can still branch out. She can find herself um, in other like similar activities, right. She can certainly branch out to have some other revenue generating activities that she, she also enjoys. Yes. Like business has a way of branching, right. It's kind Um, of a tree and you um, just keep watering it and there's more, there's more and more leaves. The grass is green where you water. Yes, that's right. Bloom where you're planted. So Mm. 
Mm, well, all Rachels are queens, apparently. I did not know. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> it's such a joy always. Um, for those of you guys such listening, thank you so much. We will have thank Rachel's info in our notes. Um, her website, feel free to reach out. I know that she does free consults. So if you're looking mm. to figure some stuff out. Take advantage of that. Yeah, she's a good spot to I go like to. It. She's real smart. She also has, which I don't think she advertised on here, a um, fabulous little um, course you can take on finding your target demo for oh. a lovely little course that you can kind of figure that out if you're like, I don't even know how to start figuring that out. So go That's there, fantastic. take that. Yes. Um, for those of you that are listening, if you like what you're hearing, please A, subscribe, listen to yeah. us every week. We're here to chat. <laughs> and B, Give us a, a lovely five-star review. Tell the world how much if you, you don't mind. It. If you don't mind. If you don't mind. It's very quick. <laughs> not a big deal. And if you hate us, the five you should stars. stop listening now and never right. listen okay. again. And that's fine. It's okay. We're, we love you anyway. We're not everyone's cup of tea. But yeah, we're someone's we'll, shadow whiskey. Okay. Hey. Hey. We love you anyways. Please come back next week. Have a great day. <laughs>